House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Now, speaking of the UK, we've got uh, the Ghost Hunter. We've got uh, Steve Parsons. Thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure, but I've got to apologize on behalf of the normal population of the UK. <laughs> I, uh, do you know, I don't know where, where this uh, flat earth nonsense has come from. In the last 18 months, it's become an epidemic on, on social media, on YouTube. There are a whole panoply of sites dedicated to the proof. I was looking at one the other day. Now, not a UK one, this was a North American one. Um, and this guy was... First of all, a flat earther, but was trying to sell the idea that the big jetliners, um, Boeing's and Airbus, are all in, uh, part of a big conspiracy because they don't fly. <laughs> they, <laughs> because they can't possibly carry enough gas to fly anywhere. So what they have is levitation devices. And he oh. stood at, and he stood at Boston Airport with a video. Get the guy knows nothing at all about relative motion or parallax or any of these things. But he was, he's been churning out videos um, for the longest time now um, from uh, just outside Boston Airport. So I'm going to give him a wave when I go over in September. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, where are they coming from? Well, you know, I don't get it because we had to interview the uh, Flat Earthers. We interviewed oh. one of the guys, and um, he was saying that the Earth is flat from North Pole down, so it would be like taking the world and flattening it with your hand. So, but why they want to eliminate Australia now all of a sudden, I'm not sure why. No, that doesn't seem to um, hang, does it? Yeah. Doesn't well, it doesn't work. The the most bizarre I came across um, on another on another radio show I host here in the UK was uh, we interviewed. <laughs> we, uh, we decided we'd interview a flat earther as well. Um, who came up with this idea that aliens were actually on the other side? They were underneath us, and they were just coming around the disc. Because I posed the question, "What? Well, if it's flat, then what's underneath?" And he said, "Well, that's where the aliens are." You know, that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> well, well, it might have been, but he left himself open to a challenge because he'd just been discussing how gravity doesn't work um, on a, a ball Earth because it pulls everything down, and uh, that's why we don't need gravity on a flat Earth. So uh, it and, the question is, well, if they're underneath, why don't they fell off? Oh. Now, here, here's a question for him, and, and I've always wanted to pose this one. What if we drill? You know, if, if we keep drilling, like we're drilling for oil, drilling for water, geological drilling, um, what are we ever going to punch through the other side of this pancake that we call Earth? Oh, I hope not. Can you imagine? I mean, it, it's like those ice walls at the end of the flat Earth. If we punch through and all the sea drains out, we're, we're done for. Yeah. It'd be like pulling the plug on the back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, geez. When I was young, they told me the other side was China. So I don't know. Well, we'll I, just have to have a giant cork ready just yeah. in case. But, you know, I have to say, now, doesn't this, um, uh, the, you know, the Flat Earth Group on Facebook has over 100,000 members now. So that in itself, does this not 
kind of hurt us scientifically? Is this not taking away us looking at science as an answer or a way of discovering things? And that in itself, does that not affect the ghost hunting world and the paranormal? I think it's an extremely sad indictment on the the, the state of all uh, exploration and investigation into the unusual, what we would call the supernatural, even the paranormal. Because mm-hmm. if we wind the clock back, say, 20 years, we were just reaching a point um, in the UK where uh, the amateur investigators, the lay investigators, were making uh, good bridges and working with the academic community, those within uh, parapsychology, for example, and some of the other sciences. But with the advent of, and uh, a lot of people lay the blame at, at television, uh, and it certainly did light the fuse, but with the advent of that and this mass interest and these second and third waves of um, investigators, I'll call them what they call themselves, um, <laughs> We've 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 lost it. We've lost it, uh, all of those links. We've we we've gone back. We've regressed back to almost the the Stone Age, the Dark Ages, where we're we're now um, in the fifteenth and sixteenth century, uh, if I may. Uh, things like poltergeist uh, manifestations and other supernatural events that that people experience were often attributed to devils and demons. And that's the situation that we've now reached, where every anomalous experience is invariably demonic. So we have, we have fully regressed back to the, the, the medieval period uh, with, with witches and devils and demons attacking us and possessing us at every turn. And, uh, but do you yeah, think we, we went too far too fast and that's what scared people back? No, I, I wish I knew the answer. Uh, I mean, I've been involved in psychical research for over 40 years, and um, we've, we've, I, I wish I, you know, I guess I'm confused I am because there isn't an answer. I've, I've sought the answer to what caused this. A lot of people attributed to television with the advent in the UK of, uh, most haunted in America, you had taps and ghost hunters, and and yeah, I mean that certainly showed people that ordinary people can um, explore the paranormal, and the interest in the paranormal has been there since the days of the Greeks. You know, the broadsheets in, in the 17th and 18th century. People have always been interested. People always loved a good ghost story. It always sold copy, uh, as Dickens exploited every Christmas. So the, the interest has been there, but television showed people that they could do it too. But right. instead of it fizzling out and moving on to the next thing, what happened was it coincided with the advent of social media. Now, this is only my opinion. But social media then gives people the idea, uh, the means to share and to sell ideas to one another, where they can get the latest piece of equipment from to show their results, to race back from their Saturday night ghost hunts and get their stunning EVPs online before the team walk the road. Uh, It allows people to declare that they're sensitive and to explore ideas and to compete. Um, 
about their degrees of sensitivity and to make interesting backstories about how they became sensitive. And I don't see any end to it. Uh, you know, year on year, I thought, well, maybe it'll it'll dwindle. Maybe they'll move on to UFOs. Maybe they'll move on to cryptozoology and leave the ghosts alone for a little bit. <laughs> And year on year, it gets more bizarre. Um, and it's definitely definitely in waves, or certainly in the UK, it's definitely in waves. I don't know whether that's the same in Canada and the US, but we had the first wave, uh, which started in the early 2000s, led by Most Haunted and uh, Ghost Hunters in the US. And that that group of people explored the orb, they fought, they thought about what the orb would be. They played with Frank's boxes and other devices, and EMF meters were very popular. And then they they did um, move on. A lot of them moved on. But we had a new wave of television programs led by Zach. And oh. The go- yeah. oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And it became more bizarre. And what you can definitely see now is ghost adventure type ghost groups versus the old most haunted type ghost groups right it's more dramatic that the, the drama the, the drama keeps going yes a lot more dramatic and uh, this this immediate uh, idea that everything is demonic everything is evil everything is out to get you i mean these were ideas that the romans had uh, and that the chinese had making offerings to um to placate the dead, to keep them away from the door. And we're back in that same situation in 2018. And and what I find annoying, and, and I'm going to catch some guff for saying this, is that the very players on the shows themselves, every other show, they're claiming to be possessed. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, are everybody, you are you that vulnerable? Should you be in this business if you're going to get possessed at every other location? Well, it's good for television. True. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> see, what what I think where the problem lies is social media and the generate the millennial generation that's been brought up with social media now um, don't question the information uh, source. They blindly accept and suck up the information um, like sponges. And when when they see this on the media. Uh, and read on the social media and see on Facebook Live and YouTube, they just blindly accept without any form of questioning at all. If it's on, you know, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Yeah, there's no scientific basis to a lot of these claims that are made. But if I see it on the internet, you, it must be true. You try telling them that, um, and also, I mean, to a lot of people, it's become um, well. Growing up, uh, you know, one of the things we used to do is in our, in our teen years and early 20s was we would go out occasionally and we would uh, go to a, a movie like The Exorcist or The Omen or and have a you know a good scary night with, with friends. But now you can become uh, integral to that movie. Ghost hunting has become... Uh, an interactive scary movie experience and people demand more and greater scares and the program makers who are feeding you know they need the, the the viewers they've got to sell advertising revenue and you know the white lady drifting silently down the corridor the headless monk the headless horseman they're also passe people want you know they want 
Lucifer himself. It won't, it won't be long before Zach does. I, I, I'm convinced in one of the series, one of them is going to come face to face with. Well, as as Ryan Buell uh, claimed with a paranormal state. But l- let me put a different aspect on this because I, I, I completely agree with you. And the original question is when did this start becoming more demonic rather than the, the, the Scooby Doo haunts? Um, you know, I started doing this back, you know, before it was cool. You know, I actually started this in, in college, and we worked a lot um, with information from Lloyd Auerbach and what the Warrens had put into position. And, you know, I think what happened is people got disappointed with their findings. You know, they go to the locations looking for the ghost, and they got disappointed, you know, because they weren't getting the results they wanted. So let's go to the next step and the next step until, like you said, you know, Beelzebub himself showed up and wiped out my entire group, and I was the sole survivor. You are so right. You are so <laughs> right. The, 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 where this took place is this third wave. It's, it's uh, David, uh, Zach, or Zach Bacon's as I call it. Um, <laughs> and this idea... This idea that you have to be confrontational, lockdown, and this body armor SWAT type uh, approach to ghost hunting. I mean, they are literally ghost hunting, and their approach is highly confrontational. They're not interested in exploration, understanding, finding out the nuances of, of the psycho uh, psychopathology or the psychology or the environmental things that people might be misreading and interpreting as paranormal, they don't care. What they what they want is to go head-to-head with Beelzebub, because it's good for ratings. Well, but, they're not going to be very happy when it happens. Uh, <laughs> I will be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's easy to criticise the, the ghost hunters for being uh, the groups, the, the individuals, as being shallow and non-informed, um, blindly following the internet. I, I've, for the last couple of years, been berating uh, the Society for Psychical Research and the other leading organisations uh, here in the UK and around the world because they, did, they have never taken a, the leading role that they should have done. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if somebody had a haunting the Society for Psychical Research was the go-to organization. But there are no ghost hunters, or there are very few ghost hunters within the SPR now. It has become a branch of uh, academic psychology. It is stuffed, stuffed from top to bottom with psychologists. And, of course, they are very much in the J.B. Ryan mold of uh, spontaneous case investigation is worthless uh, because only lab studies will ever prove anything useful and worthwhile. And the SPR has never taken a leading role and become an information resource for those who need the information. Within every group and organisation, however bizarre some of the beliefs and practices may be, there are a a nugget of people who crave good quality information who have a genuine desire to understand but they haven't got the resources 
they haven't been given the information. And so naturally they turn to the only information resource that they do have, and that is social media and the mainstream media. Because the SPR, mm -hmm. ASAP, the American Society for uh, Psychical Research, the Parapsychology Association, the Parapsychological Foundation, none of them have ever really engaged with the lay ghost hunting community and said, look, this is the, uh, we appreciate what you're doing, um, let us help you, let's work with you, let us guide you, and together we might make some decent discoveries. It's happened in other branches of science. I mean, we've got uh, any weekend, there are probably, um, well, here in the UK, there are certainly several hundred individuals with equipment operating in buildings that are said to be haunted. And those figures can only be amplified on uh, the other side of the Atlantic. And yet, we're not seeing the results. And we're not seeing the results either because there's nothing to see, or it's meaningless in the way that it's being investigated. Uh, you know, that would be absolutely incredible if they would. Um, do you think that they would be accepted, though? Because a lot of these groups, after a while, they think that they are the be-all and end-all. So if a credible organization would approach them, do you think that they would be well-received? Initially, no. I don't, I, and that, that's been a problem um, when groups have tried to regulate or... Um, impose and that's therein lies the problem they come along to try and regulate and impose rather than offering out um, a resource now the SPR has huge resources it has case studies that go back into the 1880s they, there isn't very much that they don't know um, about the subjects well I was going to say that there's a huge amount they don't know but there isn't very much they don't know that isn't available to them. But those resources are not in, in, immediately available. Nobody, the, the SPR isn't proactive. It doesn't go out and say, let us work with you. Its conferences are prohibitively expensive uh, mm -hmm. for normal people to, you know, so it's, it's the, the, the domain of the academic and it's seen that way. So, they're immediately, their approach alienates. You know, people, when, it's got some point now actually in the UK where you ask some of the ghost hunting community who were the, who, have you heard of the SPR and what, what do they do? Uh, you might, the, the most likely answer you'll get is that they haven't and that they don't. Uh, occasionally you'll get uh, the answer that, well yes, didn't they do, uh, weren't they thrown out of Enfield by the Warriors? For the, ah. It, yeah, you're 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 right, but I I would see it as a treasure trove by myself, and you know if if they did if they did begin to come out and share resources and begin to work with a lot of the serious groups, then a lot of these little pop up groups, like you said, you just go on Facebook and Google Ghost Hunter and and you'll you'll come up with thousands of these little Scooby Doo groups. And, you know, those will begin to fall away, and I think that that would bring a lot more validity and credibility back to the field. Um, 
hand on heart, I would say that certainly I'm mid-50s. Um, I've been doing it since I was a teenager. I honestly think, hand on heart, that the, the ability and the credibility of ghost hunting in a, in a sense of investigating in a meaningful way is lost in my lifetime. I think it will be 20 to 40 years before we get to where we were in the 90s. And that's firstly because of the nature of the way that the uh, investigations have gone down the media and social media routes, uh, where people are more intent on confrontational instant result ghost hunting, where they have to get an EVP because they can't. They can't function unless they know the other side is talking to them. And also because of the move within uh, the PA, the PF, the SPR, towards a hardline form of psychology-driven scepticism. And a and almost an attitude that anything less than academic is, is less worthy. You go back to the 1960s and 70s, the SPR had a, had a good balance between academics and, uh, or so, sorry, psychologists and those who were interested in spontaneous cases. You had Alan Gould, you had Maurice Gross, you had um, innumerable great ghost hunters uh, who were interested in studying these sorts of phenomena which are labelled as spontaneous, but they've passed on, they've Mm-hmm. The, the 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 vacuum has been filled by psychology. Wow! Now, now your book, um, you've got the book Paracoustics and the Paranormal. Um, let's tell the listeners a little bit about that. Like, what? Well, there's actually more than one book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, t- tell us about it then. What's what? What is it? What is behind it? Well, paracoustics. My, my work on my PhD was looking at um, specifically uh, sound as one of the environmental triggers because sound is, is an incredibly important sense. It's one of the first senses that uh, we're aware of, even in, in um, the womb. It's a sense that operates when we're unconscious and it's a sense that operates whilst we're asleep. It is vitally important. Um, and it plays a very, very important role in paranormal experiences, way more than vision or smell. And uh, working alongside, I, I might be slamming the SPR earlier, but I do work, um, I'm a member of the committee of the, uh, the Spontaneous Case Committee of the SPR, and I have a lot of friends who are psychologists and parapsychologists, and one of them was Dr. Cal Cooper, uh, who was doing uh, some work following the work of Alex Tannis and the telephone calls from the dead. And we realised that uh, there was a book, that there was a lot of others doing research um, into spirit wrapping. Uh, there was work being done at uh, uh, psychoacoustics. Uh, and so we decided we would try to combine some of the strands of um, the paranormal work that's being done relating to acoustics. And, um, and also it, it meant that I could get my uh, research relating to very low frequency um, interactions, so infrasound interactions and the role it plays in people's paranormal reports. So that was the basis of paracoustics. 
it, something I found fascinating, Steve, is audio matrixing. That is, to me, that is fascinating. And, and you can show people how it works. Everybody thinks that they've got an EVP, but they'll, and, and they'll bring you, you know, they'll bring it to you. Oh, here, listen to this, listen to this. And all you hear is static or you hear some rustling. And they're like, did, did you hear that? Did, did you hear that? It, it, it said, come and help me. Well, no, I just heard static. Well, listen to it again. And the next time they play it, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's, a, it, you know, and it, it was that part of your research, audio matrixing? Uh, we did touch on it, but I, I, there's an entire chapter on electronic voice phenomena. Um, it's interesting you, you talk about this, this matrixing or audio pareidolia, uh, because there was, there's a very good example that you can actually give people. Um, the early series of Most Haunted had a regular uh, three or four times a year, they had a live show. And what they decided to include in the live shows, some of, some of the live shows, at the start of the show, the start of the three-hour live show, they would play for EVP um, recordings and get people to, to text in or phone in the studio with what they thought was said. And in the first hour, uh, along the bottom of the screen, they would periodically put up, um, I don't know what it's called, like a ticket tape running along the bottom of the screen with what people are hearing. So they would say, EVP A, I'm going to kill you, EVP, EVP B, it's a lady's voice screaming, oh no, you're not, and so on and so on. And in the first hour, you would get an extremely broad spectrum of uh, responses. You would get men, women, and uh, children, an entirely random assortment of uh, heard responses. As the, the show progressed, they would become much more tightly focused because people had read what others had heard and then they went back and had another listen. And there's a saying that we have here in the UK, which, you know, uh, or some of us have in the UK, which is uh, the very best EVP. Um, is the one that's got the transcript. <laughs> because you know, what once you have been told what you'll get what you're gonna hear, you're you're priming the pump for expectation. If you've got belief and suggestibility already in there, they're gonna hear it. They're yes. gonna hear whatever you tell them that they're gonna hear. You're front loading him. Well we we we, when we do some public investigations, um, particularly around Halloween, you want people to have some form of experience, and then you want to try and get them to consider the experience and think about it. So you, uh, then you, you, know, you do a bit of a reveal, a bit of a letdown for them. And one of those is the ghost box, um, the Frank's box radio. And it is like crack cocaine. <laughs> You're right. It's addictive. It it's, you know... Uh, I know how it works, and you find, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself being carried along with um, listening to and hearing the sounds in the static, but it is, it is just like crack cocaine, and it's very, very uh, addictive to people who, well, even if they do understand it. Um, so those who are primed, those who are suggestible, those who just paid their $50, £50, and gone on the experience side, that 
that in itself is a form of expectation because you, you know you want some value for your money and if the lady next to you is saying that's a did you hear that it said your voice did it listen again <laughs> oh my god yes or the face in the window in the photographs oh yeah but you, you now you mentioned ultra low frequency. Um, tell us about that. Well, what? I, in its simplest form, it's the it's the exact opposite of the dog whistle. Um, yeah, this high pitched sound that we our ears can't hear. The other end of the, of the acoustic spectrum are very low frequencies that our ears can't normally hear. Um, I say normally because there are exceptions. So sounds below around about 20 hertz. Our ears are not very good, and it changes with age. But below 20 hertz, we were rather, you know, we're pretty incapable of hearing them. However, uh, these very powerful, very low frequency sound waves can uh, have quite some quite profound effects on our uh, physiology. They can make us, they can disorientate us, they can make us uh, feel anxious. They can actually alter our breathing. They can cause us all manner of strange psychophysiological effects. Now, you can't hear them, you can't smell them, you can't taste them. And if you're in a haunted building already on the ghost hunt that is in a high infrasound area, um, then the attribution is normally uh, one of well that's paranormal and it's I mean infrasound is something that's that's we've we've evolved with it comes from very uh, from a number of natural sources for example the jet stream uh, waves crashing into shore volcanoes uh, the it's it's permanently all around us but that's an incredibly low frequency so single figures single digit hertz um, frequencies but there's a whole sort of new wave of uh, low frequency infrasound that's uh, quite different than the natural infrasound which we've evolved to deal with and that's man-made infrasound and this comes from machines, road traffic noise, aircraft, uh, heavy industry, shipping. And that can have quite a uh, an unsettling effect on us, on our psychology and on our physiology. Um, it doesn't affect everybody. The research that I was involved with uh, supports the idea that around about a third of the population can be quite um, affected by it. Whereas two thirds of the population aren't uh, aren't too affected by it. So, what we're looking at is frequencies between about five hertz to around about forty hertz, as being instrumental in creating uh, some paranormal-like experiences for, for groups of people. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to give the listeners the wrong impression. I mean, we're not, you know, saying that spirits don't exist. Well, no, I hope but, not. but I, I think that basically what we're saying uh, to, to sum up our conversation is that we've got to take a more serious approach and, and be more careful and, and actually do the homework that goes along with the parapsychology. 
Well, I think what we have to do is, if we're ever going to understand that which is labelled paranormal, we have to, first of all, clear our way through the forest of the normal and the misunderstood. So the orb, um, pareidolia, the audio matrixing, which are well understood and are well explained by science. They can be put to one side and used, and we can move forward, we can progress forwards. But what we seem to be doing is constantly rediscovering the same phenomena and not revisiting the research and the work that's been done. And that's partly down to what I said before, the lack of resources, the lack of availability of the resources, and the blindness of those who seek and claim to seek and investigate um, mm. to not broaden their search. Now, be, be, before we close, um, would you have any suggestions for the listeners who are interested in the field and would like to, you know, not necessarily go academic, but where could they get, you know, good information, you know, to start or maybe to supplement what they're already doing? Well, um, I, I've got to mention uh, my, my second book, which was called Ghostology, The Art of the Ghost Hunter, which is my attempt to try to offer some uh, useful uh, advice, some useful hints and tips. But um, I said earlier I've been berating the Society for Psychical Research over their lack of an outreach, and they have responded. And um, last year they commissioned uh, a new guide Note, uh, set of guide notes for those people who want to investigate ghost hauntings and related phenomena. It's um, it's due for publication within the next month or so, and is going to be available, I presume, by Amazon, and is going to be deliberately going to be very affordable, and that will be a stepwise. But the advice I would give anybody is. Uh, question absolutely everything. Question yourself. Question the information that you're you're being provided with. Look at all of the all of the possible other explanations and consider them all against your beliefs. Lay your beliefs at the door of the haunted building, and open your mind to all of the possibilities. Because um, you know, as you said before. Uh, we don't have the answers, and there is there is a good um, there's an awful lot of very good case notes from cases that are strongly suggestive of the existence of I should say ghosts and spirits. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, everybody, our guest has been Steve Parsons. Steve, um, how can the listeners get in touch with you if they want to share experiences or get your books? Um, how can one get in contact with you? Uh, I have a Facebook page. Um, I, I'm not always, I'm not one of these that rant about, rant on Facebook every five minutes. Um, but there's Facebook, or uh, both the books are available on Amazon. That's Paracoustics. And if you find Paracoustics, you'll find Ghostology. Then they both have very similar color, uh, covers. Um, or you know, so social media is probably the easiest way. Or my own website, which is uh, 
theghosthunter.webs.com. Awesome. Well, Steve, this has been absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot and invite you back again very, very soon. And I accept. <laughs> awesome. Well, to find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.